<laughs> that was my good announcer voice. Yes, it was. Hello. Welcome to the show, everyone. 362. Whoa! This is unprecedented. Tell them why. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we. This is the first time. I almost feel like weird saying this. Yeah, This I is know. the very first time ever. We were like, mm, that episode was really garbage. We should probably. <laughs> it was a dud. It was a dud. We'll this scrap is a redo. It. Yeah, I wasn't in the right my. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. We were because I was listening back, and I'm like, why are we so serious? Yes, I think that's it. This what is, is that? It was a dark day. Okay, yeah, but I don't know why. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> what's that about? I don't know, but I was like, this is not us. Yeah, you know, maybe you know. What's funny is like I've I've heard. I, I heard from a friend once that, like, if you have, like, those nights where you, like, go out drinking and have a lot of fun, mm. the next day you can, like, be kind of depressed. It's yeah. like a, all the serotonin is drained and everything. And I had a really good date the night before, and I wonder if I was just, like, there was all the, good, ke- yes, all the good chemicals in my brain were just, like, gone. <laughs> were you sad? I wasn't sad. I was just, like, lethar- like kind yeah. of melancholy. Like, I don't know, like, not energetic yeah but it wasn't just you it was like what both of us the whole vibe was just like what's the word morose yeah like and i was like what flat Flat, it was just flat flat flat. well we are not flat never again never i mean the only thing flat about me is my chest (laughs) so you make up for it in the nether regions there you go hi oh talk about my booty (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. We're yes. hopeful that this will be not flat. Yeah, and I think also uh, I didn't even get to talk to you a lot about the event that we did. Oh, yeah. and Which was so much fun, the one that I did, Sweat and Reset. But what was most fun about that weekend is catching up with an old friend who uh, basically like we ran through hilarious stories of like shenanigans that we from had days past? from days past uh-huh. and she reminded me of all this hilarious stuff I did like for example we went on this <laughs> trip it was like we were 17 she had just I was 17 she was just turning 18 just turned 18 and somehow our, our families allowed us uh me Ashley and then our other friend Kylie to take the car and go up and stay at my family's house in Cambria 17-year-old girls. Yeah, that's... I mean... An invitation for trouble. Trouble. Mm-hmm. Along the way, we got uh, Ashley's tongue pierced. We... Yeah, it was like a whole night no of that. Way. And she had just turned 18, so it's like, let's do everything that we're not supposed to do. So she's like, hmm, I want to buy cigarettes. So she bought a bag of cigarettes and then somehow convinced me to chain smoke them all night long. <laughs> And she was like, if you ever have a problem with smoking, I'm the cause because I forced you. And I was like, no, no, another, another. She kept on telling me like, more, you know, keep doing it. And I was heavy in the rockabilly. Like, oh, I remember So that, it was like Sarah. a whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's what like they do. Sure, I'll smoke cigarettes. And the ease to which I just took down a cigarette was like. Yeah, you never had a, a habit. Oh, Did for you? like a minute when I lived in England. Like how long? And I would just like, oh, like months. three months. Yeah. You had a three-month addiction. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would joke that the only reason I started smoking in England was because at least this way I have a filter because you're, like, surrounded by smoke yeah. all the time. And I thought that was a funny joke. So. Do you – you know how they say that some people can get addicted to cigarettes, other people yeah. are kind of immune to it? Yeah. Do you buy that, number one, oh. and do you think you fall into that category? Well, I definitely think that, like – the. The ease in which I was just able to go, yeah, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And I can still, you know, I'll have a night where, like, sure. you know, maybe Take I'll be pop. out in Vegas and it'll sure. be like, and then as soon as I do it, like, well, it's terrible. Cigarettes themselves, but like, yeah, it's not really 
but it, yeah, it was not. You don't have that thing that mm-hmm. makes you want more and more. Yeah, cigarettes. I don't think so. That's lucky. Yeah, and after I got pregnant, the smell of it is like the worst thing in the world to me. So now it's like so when I'm driving in the car and somebody at a stoplight is smoking, I can smell it even with my windows rolled up. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> Stop, get out of here well, with that. I'm sure you're privy to the drama lately regarding vaping and yes. you know, all the harm. Right. Is that what you do? So, yeah, every it's now and then. Because yeah. I never know, like, are they yeah. talking about, yeah. what are they talking about? The yeah. liquid weird stuff or like yeah. pot? Well, I'm kind of confused on that too. I'm such a mom. Yeah, because so what I'm hearing is that there are there are these counterfeit oh like cartridges and counterfeit things going around and those are filled just like anything with stuff Synthetic that's like filler. Yeah. And so if you get it from a place that where they do all the quality testing and all that stuff then, you know, but, but then it, again, anything is like is it really True, but good? like what are they saying is injurious? Like what so what what I've heard is the 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 what people are what they're finding is there was vitamin E oil like uh-huh. a vitamin E which which you'd think okay we put in it on what? inside the liquid like and is this liquid supposed to simulate marijuana? So <laughs> what it is is if you were to take it's kind of like extracting oil from something. Yeah, you know, you can either burn it dry, like, and smoke it dry. Yeah, or you can press it and extract the oil, and it creates like a concentrate. And yeah. then that concentrate, they cut it with like or, or water it down in or a way flavors with or with a um, like it's supposed to be like a like a glycerin, I think, or something like that. That that is okay. But yeah, people are substituting that with like another kind of oil, like a that vitamin E or whatever, and that is what's causing the, but I don't know. This is again, I have no, I am not in any way like, I guess I feel like there is different categories. Cause don't some people vape where it's not actually an illegal substance. It's just some sort of weird liquid. Yeah. That they just enjoy. Yeah. Like to like, that's like the nicotine, those ones that are are. like, they're like cigarettes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what And those are the ones that the, like they're, I think the company Jewel is getting sued because they're, it seems like they're targeting and marketing to kids. Because like, like when that. it's rainbow, like, wh- like what are the names of it? They're always like unicorn poop or something yeah. crazy like that. Or, yeah. and it's yeah, like, we're on to you come there. on, <laughs> you know, and the flavors of, yeah. you know, I get it. If you're switching from cigarettes to sure. that, it's like, it's yes, absolutely do that. Yeah. And, but those people don't want mango flavors. They're like, no, give me cigarette flavor, you know? Like, give me the mango. good old... And they're like all these, you know, weird flavors coming up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like that that I think they're getting in trouble for. I'll tell you what has a good flavor. Mm-hmm. Ritual vitamins. Yes, you don't ever have to worry about being nauseous from those. <laughs> right. Yes, ritual vitamins have the flavor of mint. They smell like mint. Go into your house and whatever vitamins you're <sighs> using... Open oh up my that gosh, bottle. that is such a good <laughs> yes. Just smell it. Take a whiff, mm-hmm. and you'll be thinking, "I need something that doesn't smell like garbage." Oh God, what is that? It's so bad. Ew. Ritual, like I said, is the mintiest, wonderful flavor, and it is time release, so you won't get sick, and it'll help you fill in the gaps in your um, diet. So if you're missing vitamins or whatever, they got you covered. Omega three, D three, whatevs. Mm. They have, um, what's it called? Prenatal. Yes. They have a prenatal. Oh my God, yeah. Vegan free, uh, vegan friendly, sugar free, um, all that jazz. And it's a subscription. So it comes to your house and as soon as you need more, there they are. Mm. So you never miss any. 
and it's just great. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I take them every day. Like a ritual. I like a ritual. So BetterHelp doesn't happen overnight. And right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that supports a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash brain kitty to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during the first three months at ritual.com slash brain kitty. You know, I often have these moments when I'm actually partaking in whatever our partner's products are. Yes, yes. Where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing a good enough job of convincing people that I actually use it and I love it. Even I sent off my... Remember when we were working with Meeson Knives? Yes. Beautiful Chef's Knife? I love those. I sent mine off to get the free sharpening service. Oh my God, I need to do that. Yeah. And it came back and it was like butter. It was like... Oh my God, I'm this doing that so this week. This is so awesome. That is so fantastic. So I just I bought just, a new knife block, so this will be really, got to put it in there fresh. Yeah. Yes. And it was, it was this feeling of like, people don't know I really love this yeah. stuff. Anyway. Well, and that I only need two knives. I mean, we're like doing an ad for them and like not even, they're not even a sponsor. <laughs> but it's episode. actually true. Right. So whatever. Right. Okay. But speaking of <clears throat> chefs and cooking, I got a funny story for you. Okay. Let's hear it. Did you hear about so me? So really trying to make up for this. Right. No, episode. but because like, I was like, God, there is so much great stuff out there. And what the hell was wrong with me? And I like heard all these stories. But, you know, didn't even like bring them up. (laughs) So I was reading this thing on on Vice and there is a chef. His name is Mark Verat. He probably has some fancy name. I think he's in France. This is a, okay. French chef. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's in France. The Michelin star people knocked him down a star because they accused him of using cheddar cheese in his (laughs) supply. No, 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 no. Yes. No. Yes. Did he deny all charges? Yes. And got really angry and said, you have to remove me from your Michelin book now. I don't even want to be a part of this because you're like, and they said, no, we're not going to do that. And they like dishonored him. a real scandal. And he's suing them. Good. Yeah. I'm mad about it. I don't even know if he's cheddar. Right? Right. What the fuck is wrong with cheddar? The court hearing is set for November 27th. Oh my God. Yeah. How dare they? How can they say they know what's in that recipe? It's, it's supposed to be point. about t- taste yeah. anyway. It could be cow dung. If it's delicious, give them the goddamn star. Good point. Who cares, yes. right? That's also what I was saying. I'm like, does the ingredient, like, yeah. you can't use cheddar cheese? Like, have they had macaroni and cheese? Well, exactly. Have And have you ever had American? Because guess what? It's delicious. delicious. It's really my favorite cheese. I know. Which is awful. Kidding? Yeah. Which is awful. But... That's Isn't that I, crazy? I actually, if they do have rules about ingredients, what's worthy and what isn't. That's a really good question. Because there's not a lot of me. information in this fight. It's like a or pretty Or do you think it was, he claimed it was whatever, uh, Manchego, uh-huh. and then they are saying that the problem is he lied. So it says that he claimed that the Michelin inspector <laughs> accused him of putting cheddar cheese in a French souffle, an allegation that he strongly denied. So maybe the traditional French yeah. souffle doesn't yeah. have that ingredient. And it said how they dared to say we put cheddar in our souffle of <laughs> Roblochon, Beaufort, and Tomé. I'm pronouncing every one of those wrong, I'm sure. They're cheeses. <laughs> at, okay, he said at okay. the time, they've insulted our region. My employees went crazy. We have eggs from our chickens. Our, we milk our cows. Two botanists pick our plants every morning. <sighs> And it said that he was like so depressed after hearing this that they wanted to remove it. And oh my gosh! And it's like Verat is still salty about the cheddar cheese thing, which I was like, (laughs) I I like Vice Magazine. Well done, well played. That would really make me upset if I were him. Well, and he's even more upset because 
the Michelin star people are anonymous. You don't know that they've come if they've done a real thing. So he says he never saw the inspector. He doesn't know who this person is. And I feel like not knowing that would be real. Yeah. Yeah. That's really crazy. Maybe they could come to an agreement where they come back or something and try it again. Like remake it. Yeah. It's like that reminds... Wasn't there a movie where that happened where... I feel like it was a, a chef. Food, was it yeah, like a food yeah, critic? Yes. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. With I a mean, good actor, too. I, I guess it's real touchy subject. Yeah, if that's like... I do love that, it, though. Right. I, I would love would. to eat that. What is it, a quiche? A you said? French souffle. Oh, souffle. Yeah. Mm. It's probably delicious. I'm sure. I don't even like melted cheese. Well, I want to go to that place in Thailand. I think it's in Bangkok where the lady got a Michelin star and she's just on the street. Like no. She's just a... What do they call that? Vendor. Street vendor? Yeah, street like vendor of whatever cart? Thai food. And she's incredible. And she got a Michelin star. So oh that's God. why I'm surprised that they're so rigorous in this yeah. instance. Because I thought it was just like, if it's delicious... That's the that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's weird. But maybe it's the... Oh, that's true. Because it's not like it's a, a rating system. It's not like it's you get five... You know, it is though. I is think, it? Yeah, it's you like get five stars. You can have, mm-hmm. Up to five. Yeah. Or is so it, it, it? It sounds like they removed one of his stars. Like they took him down yes. a rank, but he still had a Michelin. Yeah. Whatever. Four star Michelin restaurant. I'd still eat it. Yeah. Same with that. That is food bonkers. Tra- no, Good one, Sarah. You <laughs> totally redeemed yourself. Yes. Woo, <laughs> I love good. That. I feel like it was just you. Yeah. That's I was funny. even looking over my notes and be like, "Why did we talk about that?" Oh my god. I I don't even remember what we talked about. You would be horrified. So I don't even. No, it's better I don't. It's like I one think, of those things I don't want to know. I Let's almost want to release it just on Patreon and be like, "Listen to how bad the garbage, <laughs> garbage." Isn't that funny? Oh my god! Like it could be bonus crap <laughs> right. content. Yeah, if people would die and see like what would be like. Oh great, we <laughs> paid. Thank for you the so much for putting me through that pain. The refuse. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you an article I read, which I really enjoyed, and it was about a uh, well. The author of the article had been to um, an inpatient mental health facility for mm-hmm. a few days. Like um, voluntarily was. I believe she in, okay. was. N- Voluntarily, but she needed help. Okay, like it was a true, it, um, she was a true patient. And she was writing about her experiences and how, because of the concerns that the medical industry has about the patients, they have to be real careful about what you can bring in, of course. Of course. Um, and what you can use and when you can use it, like razors and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But she was writing this very insightful piece about how important for some people, hygiene makeup self is a form of self-care yeah very much so. like when that process of like i wash my face and then i put my moisturizer on and then i put makeup on yeah for some people that's a way of making them feel like they can face the day correct and so by not allowing people to partake in that ritual that that can be counterproductive to Mm -hmm. the process of healing which i thought was so important because yeah i would feel like that especially if you have bad skin or something and you just feel like even just whatever your daily routine is. Yeah. I'm trying to, I even think about, you know, when we go on the challenge, it can kind of feel like a crazy house sometimes. Truly. And your, the things that you normally do, your rituals, your normal routine is taken Disrupted, away. Disrupted, yeah. And you can feel the effects of that. And I recognize that I've tried so hard to kind of recreate my regular routine where like I get up early, I we make both the coffee. Would do that. We both yeah. kind of, We did our crossword puzzles. We, ha- we created a new routine because yeah. there's something that feels 
really comforting and soothing about having a little predictability in an unpredictable environment. Yeah, because it's about control and feeling like, especially in a psych ward or the challenge, (laughs) they have removed your any autonomy that you have. You don't know what time it is. You don't know where you're going that day. It's the same. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It really right. <laughs> and I feel You're like a little just, terrified of the people around you. Like what could they do? I, yes. In like a way that I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> but it's true. And I've really related to this and I thought that it would be nice if these facilities could find um, a way to yes. balance the safety of the patients with those needs. Even listen to this. Floss is restricted. Oh yeah. I, I thought it was that. like a strangulation concern but it really is just that teeny tiny little piece of metal what to cut the you know on the yeah packaging come on i think it's okay i think so too and like there's got to be a way around that. yeah <sighs> so right. like they could make a dispenser that just right. gives you a bit and they also <laughs> have those yeah just like okay right because right cut it? like just use but one of on. the, the individual use single use ones come on now yeah yeah I and that you was know shocking. i wonder this is like a, a good, you know, I feel like, like some place should try something like this where maybe there's a, you know, and they, you kind of do see this when you have like inpatient facilities that are maybe like residential treatment centers for addiction where yeah. they, they give them a routine where they're yeah. like, this is your chores. This is what you do during the day because they know that that's important. So maybe kind of something to allow the person to create a ritual or like. I mean, there there just should be a workaround. Yeah, I get that. Well, I remember when my, uh, you know, mother-in-law, she was, had, she suffered from uh, bipolar disorder, still does. And she had an episode and we had to, you know, 5150 and she was held in 72 hours. Yeah. And I came to the hospital and washed her hair and did her makeup. That's nice. And it mattered a lot. Yes, right. Because she's a person. Yes. And she, it changed, like just having, feeling like, after everything she went through and yeah. like just being a mess with, yeah. you know, all that, having somebody wash her hair and put some eyeshadow on and put some lipstick on and give her some eyebrows made her feel like yeah. the symptoms were reduced. I like when I see articles though where it's like, I never thought of that. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I'm glad I know. Just, yeah. I don't know, just to know. Yeah. But medical professionals mm. certainly have a hard job right. and we know that and we want to celebrate them. And one of the companies that we work with is called Figs. And they do a fantastic job of making the uniforms for healthcare professionals soft and um, practical so that they can put the most innovative technical tools to use while they're wearing them and they're not itchy and they can wear them all day and feel totally comfortable and look their best. Um, And Figs is so cool because they give scrubs to healthcare providers in need around the world through their Threads for Threads initiative. I love that. And I feel like this would be a great gift for if you know oh, somebody yeah. who's a dental hygienist or um, a nurse or whatever. It's such a great gift. So whether you're one of the awesome humans that works in healthcare or someone that you want to say thanks to, they're deserving folks. And Figs is going to make that easy by providing you with 15% off your first purchase by using our code Brain Candy to get uh, get ready to love your scrubs. Head to wearfigs.com. W e a r F-I-G-S.com and enter our code brain candy at checkout. And I have some of their products and I can attest to the quality mm-hmm. and um, softness and all yeah. that. So they're really nice. Um, Lovely. You know, what's funny. I read this book. It's, it's a famous book about prisons. I think it's called hot house, mm. the hot house. And it's about Leavenworth prison. Where's that? 
It's in Illinois, I think. Oh, yeah. Is it like a serious one? It's a serious one, and this was um, notable because the journalist got unlimited access for two years, Whoa. could come and go as he pleased, had no guards with him. Whoa. I mean, it was like serious ethnography where you go in and you are in it. In it. And he took these risks of like they could yeah, hurt him if right. they wanted. So it, that's what made the book famous. But when I was reading it, truly, right hand to God, and I know it sounds insane, but I think Sarah will understand. I kept thinking of the challenge. I'm sure. Yes. Like it's just a more extreme Ab- yeah. version. Yeah. And I was just like. How about even like how you, your relationship with food, how you eat, how it's like, I got to get my fair share before anybody. You and know? how you're always like. On guard. Yeah. Side-eyeing. Like, yeah. what do they mean by that? Yeah. And is this the part of the game or are they really my friend? You know, oh like God. where it's so fucked up. It keeps you in the most reactive place. And how can anything like, it's basically you're, you're limbic system is the only thing running yeah the entire time and in either scenario either situation so anybody that lives in that situation in a prison obviously is not being equipped if they're going to be released they're just not right. going to be ready no. and probably will have the same problems when they yeah. come out because it heightens and exacerbates what was clearly already a problem yes and um, they were even describing sometimes when guys would get out and it would just like be, mm-hmm. they would implode of and course. they would be ready to fight all the time when it's just like normal life. Because that's what happens when that system gets activated all the time. You do one of two things. You see red flags everywhere when yeah. they aren't or you don't see any at all right. because you've been so used to it. And then things that are dangerous don't even register as dangerous. So you put yourself in really dangerous yeah. situations. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. And believe me, I don't know the answer, but I just think, well, good Lord, this system is broken. Broke. Real yeah. bad. Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> I just thought of that because you were talking about the psych ward. Yeah. Now it's just like, oh, you know, reality TV. Yeah. Oh my God. I've been getting a lot of inquiries about when are you going to go back in the challenge? When are you go, I'm going to answer everybody right now. <laughs> Never. Not going to happen. Really? Oh, never. They say never say never. No, I can, I, I, well, this is the, what is it? The exception that proves the rule. This is it. What makes you so sure? Mm. I mean, I already know all this, but I just find it fun to ask you. Oh man. It's like the same as if you were to like, in a weird way, live your life, graduate college, get married, do all this stuff. And mm. then like go, I think I want to go to a high school oh, party. Prom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. You'd be like, no prom. Okay. That was real fun then. Yes. But it is weird at this new place now. And I see it in a completely different light and I'm looking at everybody's interactions different. And like, there isn't a desire to go over there and get drunk at the punch bowl with, you know, whatever, because like, I don't, no, 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 no. I see too much of what's going out, going on, you know? Yeah. I, I'm even, so you know how on Twitter, I, I just tweet about politics. Yeah. I don't tweet about re- reality TV or my life. Right. And yet every so often I'll tweet something that rubs somebody the wrong way and they'll be like, <laughs> this just happened the other day. Really? What about the I Heart Tanya game since you're such a great person? Oh, that does. Like, yeah, okay. Oh, my God. Did they think it just happened? Or did <laughs> they know that was 15 years ago and right. really Come on. not applicable in this yeah, yeah. story? I wonder, though, is it like a cognitive dissonance for them where they hmm. uh, were stuck in that moment so. in their brain? Yes. 
So they think we're still Correct. how we were when we were 18, yeah. 20, 22. I saw a little bit of this when people could not wrap their head around the idea that I didn't live in the city that my real world was filmed in. <laughs> they thought you were from Brooklyn? Like, but they would see me in California and they'd be like, oh my gosh, Sarah, what, what are, are you, you doing, doing here? here? Oh, yes. And I was like, so funny. Mm, do you think I it's live Brooklyn here. though? Or do they just think, I can't believe I'm seeing this person that's supposed to be no, in my I think TV? It was because they would say like, oh, I thought you lived in Brooklyn. Oh, I thought you lived in whatever or stayed there. What? I don't know what it was. It happened more when I was like fresh off the show. But there, the idea, I think that is that cognitive dissonance. In my mind, you are this here in this way, and then I see you, and it doesn't match. And so, yeah. what? Yeah, I could understand having the thought, because I watch a lot of TV, and I can see how your brain would do that. Yeah. But then I'd stop. <laughs> Invite think. rational thoughts in. Yeah. Right. Be like, oh, right, right of course. Right, And they kind of do that. That's, okay. You know what's funny? That that happens. Not on Twitter, it no, doesn't. Right, right, because you can't see them in real life. This is usually an interaction that always, an interaction I have in real life. And uh-huh. then I go, oh, no, I just did my... And they go, oh, right. That okay. is how it goes. We got to snap okay, them back into yes, reality. yes, yes, yes. Ooh, this is good. What? Man, this is a better <laughs> episode. Wait till you hear the other one. <laughs> we'll be posting that on oh, patreon.com. We're going to join just for that garbage. Um, okay, moving on mm-hmm. since we've like yeah. beat that dead horse. Yeah. Did you hear that they successfully taught rats how to play hide and seek? Did I hear that? It's brand new. I guess this study came out, research came out. Also, what for what? Why? Why are we doing this? Wasn't there a reason? I'm sure, but like... Like, I, I, I kind of remember kind of seeing saw. that and there was some explanation of what they were trying to determine. Wasn't it about... Ugh, like, they wanted to know whether the rats like could feel surprise or satisfied. Oh, wow. I feel yeah, like they were like looking... They, and they taught them to play with humans... Like, so human hides yeah. and then the rat goes and finds them. And also the, the, they some, trained them so that the rat can hide and the human can go find them. But the funniest part about the whole thing is that in most animal studies, they use food as the incentive. They did it yeah. this time. They used tickles. Because <laughs> rats love being tickled. Shut up. I will not. Get out of here. And so some researcher, like That's that was their job. adorable. Adorable. Makes me like rats. I might just They're change my position nice. on things that scurry. No. <laughs> well, pet rats are clean and yeah. nice, and they're very smart. I just don't want the dirty ones that like go through your right. garbage and stuff. <laughs> Gross. That leave that oily resin, that, that whatever that is. Even was. like on their tail, whatever yeah. that lubrication yeah. is. Yeah, that, that, that's the stuff I don't like. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. But even if we were trying to determine, oh, can they feel surprise or can they feel satisfaction or whatever, your point still remains why. They were looking into like, like what's play in animals? How do do animals engage in play? And like by our definition of play, play must be like spontaneous and voluntary. And so can they create that? Can you create a situation where animals play voluntarily and, uh, you know... Uh, yeah. spontaneously yeah and you know i don't know that's what they did <laughs> with these nice. six young rats you know what Man, can you do scientists are tireless in their efforts it to... said that they really enjoyed playtime who doesn't yeah don't you is that that's what i call sex. and i guess it does give us a lot of information about it they were like hooking them up to electrodes see what part of their brains got excited <clears throat> with play and social interaction and it all is, this stuff. i've read um 
some scholarly books about play, and it is fun to read because you they kind of like even in oh, the same way that, that is cute. Yeah, like with um, in my field in religion, we have trouble telling people here's what religion is because it it's kind of yeah broad and weird and can vary. It's like that with play, right? Where you're like, is this play or is it? and they have to tr- try to like pinpoint yes i think that's one of the hardest things about scholarship is being precise and accurate and that's one of the things that i was struck by when i read the books i was like they kind of don't know exactly and that's maybe why you test all these animals and find out like okay what is the difference because then it leaves me like what separates us this like desire to know like are we the same as all like well, for sure, those monkeys and gorillas love playing. Yeah. They have a grand old time. And then the more we find out about these human qualities that, mm. like, oh, my God, there's so much that I've heard this past week about bees having memories and understanding if they're good memories or bad memories. Yeah. So then it makes like makes me think, like, how should we be treating animals? Should we be, should we have zoos? Should we have, should we be eating these things if like i get it survival yes that's important for us but like do we really need to be like yeah putting them in cages and all this stuff and you know you know the book that you had in the book club uh last month by Mm -hmm. jessica rag the butcher Mm -hmm. girl on the block Mm -hmm. she's a female butcher also known as a butcher and i need to stop (laughs) i love when people say that also known as a (laughs) because it's notable but you don't want to have to Mm -hmm. say but um and she was she surprisingly perhaps supports, you know, being mindful about yes. it, eat what you eat and also limiting your meat, which mm-hmm. you wouldn't maybe expect. Um, but I also just read this book. I had to look it up quickly so I got the title right by Melissa Darabian from the Food Network. She won cool. Next Food Network Star. Yeah. And she just wrote a book called Tasting Grace, God's Invitation to, what is it? Well, that's cool. It, it's God's invitation into deeper connection and satisfying oh, and satisfied hunger. I really love this book, even though I'm not overtly religious, because of those concepts where it can translate even if you're secular yeah. about like yes. really being aware of what you're putting in your body and yeah. all that stuff. I just think it's good to be mindful. I do too. I have uh, to tell you, I've been playing a lot of Best Fiends. Mind oh my me. God, me too. <laughs> for I, real? It, for do you want to see what level I'm on? <laughs> who I've collected and who I've already upgraded? Come on, I didn't even know what like this is fun and dangerous. <laughs> what do you like? What do you like about it? Like I love the cute little stories. I love yeah. the cute little characters. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it is real fun. Yeah, and I like it makes me think, but also like kind of giggle and have fun, and it just feels like play, play. See, it's play. It's play. I love it. It's proper play. It's a yeah. break from all of your depressing life and yeah. the news and all of that. Mm-hmm. If you just want to have some fun, look, at, they have the most adorable character collection and they have really fun puzzles. Like Sarah said, they make you think, but yeah. you're totally casual, just having fun. It's great for adults um, and it's just a nice break from life. Yeah. And they always have new levels and events, so it never gets old. They keep it interesting. And... Um, it's just really fun to play. It has five star uh, rating on. Uh, I get it. The app star. <laughs> Sarah's gonna leave hers yeah, got in it. a minute. Already, already did that. You can engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Five star rated mobile puzzle game on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's f- that's friends without the R. Best 
fiend. Yes. Um, okay, but yeah, those the books that we've read recently that Tasting Grace and mm-hmm. the Butcher, the Girl on the Block. Mm-hmm. It's a such a good reminder. Right. The about, animals are like, right? Animals are people too. Totally. And but the the end of this article, mm-hmm. yes, talked about how one of the most interesting things from the study was that these rats would play with humans that to them are freaking giants. Yeah. In fact, I didn't really understand what that would be like or what that, because we, you know, can you really conceptualize what something 60 times your size or whatever is like? No, until you are next to that. And I, when I went to the General Sherman, the largest tree in the world, they say that your experience standing next to this tree is the same as what a mouse experiences standing next to a six-foot-tall man. And I went, oh, my God, that's huge. (laughs) It made me feel so bad for any little mouse. And why the hell would I be scared of it? It would be like this tree being like... Yeah, but more importantly, why aren't they scared of us sometimes? They are. You think? They seem pretty darn bold. No, it's the ones... Oh, my gosh. This My brother told me this so long ago, that when you see a mouse that doesn't have that fear... They have that parasite in their brain. You know the thing they get from cats that's like the... Because it, it gets rid... It, it, it deactivates or like does something that affects the amygdala, like the fear center of their brain. So they don't... They're like more... They run around the middle of the room where a rat or a mouse that doesn't have it will... Oh, yeah. Go along the edges. Yes. Ooh, that is freaky. Real freaky. So Ooh, I've been around like, like rabid mice oh all my, my God, life. That's so gross. That gives me like creepy goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess they are fearful normally. Yeah. Except for the parasitic oh ones. Oh my God, gross. Thanks a lot for sharing that story. Um, have you read those articles where pe- they encourage people? Well, it's describing what it's like to go like a whole year without shopping or. Oh, have you read I mean, these? I like imagine, like not in depth but there was one in the new york times it was really good and it, it named a couple things that she got out of it that i wouldn't have expected so a year without shopping does that mean like what do we she, in her case she did it just like kind of like clothes and electronics and stuff like that Not buying anything extra like she could go out to eat okay and things like that she could hang out with people and she could buy gifts and books, mm-hmm. but she wouldn't buy clothes or mm-hmm. shoes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that, you know how when you have a big event coming up and you think, I got to get a nice dress for that or whatever, and all the time you spend like perusing, Yep. and she got all that time back. Yep. She noticed that, and I wouldn't have thought of that. I understand this on a very personal level. <laughs> You're a perusal person. <laughs> Really almost the opposite when I, when I realized, so I had some, I think it was a bachelorette party or something like a, a, something where in my mind I was like, I have to get a new outfit for this. And I turned out I didn't have enough time. And like, I think I did my makeup in like five minutes. I had such a great time. I realized in that moment that what I was wearing and what my makeup looked like yeah. affected the outcome of the event absolutely zero. And the stress that I was putting myself through in do, spending, like, if you enjoy it, if you like doing your makeup yeah. for an hour and like doing all that, but for me, it like added stress to my life. Yeah. So I realized, like, why am I doing that? Mm. Is it worth the effort? Is it worth worrying about what I'm going to wear and all this stuff? If I, the outcome well, is the same. Well, let me just say that. Um, if 
most people looked like you, they wouldn't be spending all that time doing makeup. Like you could just show up with a burlap sack, oh and everyone God. would be. Well, you're so sweet, happy. but I think that that is. You should. More of I'm us just than- saying, take advantage of that. The fact that like you really could just kind of like roll up. Well, I think I'm going to start. Yeah, I have been see? doing that. Yeah, I've been doing that on dates. Whoa! Uh, for real, there was one guy I went out with. And it's like, it makes it sound like I'm going out with like 50 dudes. There's like three. For like everybody like chill. And like, you know. This is so, my favorite Oh my bit. God. I like, it's not a lot. Okay. But so like I was just running around and super busy that day. And it was like a Sunday afternoon. And I was like, here's the deal. You're going to get real casual, Sarah. Oh yeah. I remember that. And, and he was, was fine. Totally fine. Care. Neither did I. And yeah. I was like, wow, not spending all that time yeah. freaking out. Yeah. And then I did it for, like for another date, like did all that and i was like oh it was much better when i just was like me on natural yeah like you know i threw on some just mascara because i'm not crazy yeah so yeah it's just like my hair was wet i was like this is what you're gonna get so i could see that because the few times that i've sort of gone to a big event and been like oh my god i gotta wear something special i just put the job on sarah yeah oh I, I take it, it is the best because she's like a fucking what do you call those? Personal stylists. Oh, I can Here, shop for somebody like, else. Here's a like, hundred no possible dresses for you. This Suze. is this I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that my is something you're very stylist. good at. Yeah. And I could see how it could be time consuming if you did it all the time for yourself, which I know you don't. But, but, but I don't even like doing it. Like I can dress other people, but I really? can't. It's like I can't do it for myself. It's work. Yeah. Okay. Well, and also because in my mind, this you know we've talked about. Even in the beginning of this episode, how sometimes our memories are kind of stuck in one period of time, like other people's memories of us. Yeah. But I think in my mind, some of the mem- like my mind when I go shopping, when I go, like, it's a lot of negative yeah. stuff. I had a lot yeah. of body image issues. I had really uncomfortable experiences in dressing rooms that were really like a lot of anxiety with shopping for, for me. Yeah. Well, and this is another thing she brought up, which is if you're thinking about what dress should I wear to this thing, you're going to think those thoughts that you just mentioned. You might also start comparing yourself to the person that might be there. Yep. Oh, they're going to have Christian Louboutins or whatever fancy thing. And so you start comparing yourself to people that have more than you or you perceive to have more than you. Mm -hmm. But when you aren't doing that, you start to realize what other people don't have and what maybe you're blessed with that other people... Yeah. Aren't. And so it shifts who you're comparing your life to, I think. 100%. I thought that was such a good point. Really good point. Because <clears throat> on social media and all of that, it can be very tempting to be like, they have a better car, or they have yeah. better shoes, or whatever. I don't know what yeah. people compare. But, and you can kind of put a, a halt to that. Um, and then she said one more thing. Oh, she just mentioned that thing that we all do where like maybe we'll buy a, a makeup item or a shampoo or something and we don't really love it right. and we just throw it back under our sink yeah. and never use it. You mean like 90% of the stuff under my sink right yeah, now? Yeah. She's yeah. like, just go ahead and use it. It's fine. Right. You know? You know, this is something that I think women do where they don't give themselves permission to enjoy. I, we've even talked about this in, in like... You right. know, that candle that like, like oh, I'm not going to burn it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I can't use it because like it's, it's too nice. It's special. No. Get out the nice. Like my therapist told me a long time ago, uh, she said, when you're like going to sit down and do something, you know, like be mindful 
with anything that you do. And if you're going to do something like make a cup of tea, do pretend like you're, you're your own guest come into your house and make it with care. Take out the nice teacup, put a little cute saucer under yeah. it, make it special for yourself. The things that we do for others, we don't do take the time. It takes all of 10 seconds to pick. Yeah. And you're picking the cup already. Just pick the one that's not the, you know, yeah. oh, I'll just use the extra. Mm-hmm. I'll just like, no. Yes. Put, give yourself permission to like, you know. Do it properly. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that there's like a feeling of kind of like envy that I have when I see women who do that. Mm. And they're, the first instinct, and this is not me right now. This is like me however many years ago yeah. about this where I would be, have like a, oh, well, they're so selfish. And look at them, how they like think it's all like, you know, oh, she gets this and this and this. And now I'm like, why, why shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't we feel like that? Why shouldn't I allow myself to be, you know, treated well, real well? And Right. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I don't mean to derail the episode, but I have my dog here and Bo just tooted and What's it, it is stinky. There's so- you stink. I feel like it's breath. She- Mighty breath. What is the deal with that, Bo? <laughs> Brush your GD teeth. <laughs> Let me just do a little palate cleanser. Uh, for Bo and us, and talk about how much we love The New Yorker, and we hope you're taking advantage of that awesome deal that they gave to us. I've been seeing so many great pieces that they've done on, well, of course, politics lately. Mm-hmm. There's been plenty to, write, plenty to write about. Um, but they've also done some really nice um, humor pieces, and I there was an even article about um, perfumes, and it's just they have something for everyone. So if you have a topic that you're into, they have an article about it. Um, food, cartoons, popular culture, arts, um, the environment, and they're critically acclaimed, but it's not lofty. You can, no matter what, you can just learn from it and you don't have to be fancy pants yourself. Just enjoy it. And they have a great deal. Get 12 weeks of the New Yorker for just six bucks. Plus the exclusive tote, go to newyorker.com slash brain candy. Listeners save 50% when they enter our code brain candy. That's 12 weeks of the New Yorker. As you said on the episode that is now defunct. <laughs> Digital and hard copy. Right. <laughs> and, of course, that <laughs> Terrible in the episode. Crushed the ass. <laughs> right. We really did. And now we're having to recreate. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, take advantage of that with our code break, Andy. Hilarious. Hilarious. Okay, now what? What mm-hmm. do we got? Mm-hmm. You want to hear why facts don't change our minds? Oh. Or do you have... Yeah, I no, know. I want to hear that for okay. sure. Well, we, all, we all know that to be true, and if we really think about our own behavior, we can see how we yeah. uh, are the same. Um, but it was talking about, ooh, this was interesting. It described in the article, and this was in, I believe, The Atlantic, and it was saying how they did a study with suicide notes, and they told mm. people like to try to guess which of the suicide notes were truly written by people who ended up taking their own life. Mm-hmm. And which ones weren't. And this was all a ruse, which I don't want to participate in I don't these need, studies. I don't like that either. I hate like, when I they do that. That's like messed up. You need to give them therapy afterwards for real. Well, and it just feels like I would be thinking too much in there. Like, what? They didn't. Is that true? Yeah. Is that a lie? Mm. Maybe they should do a study just on me and my own paranoia. <laughs> but anyway, so then they told them their results. Like, okay, you got nine out of 10 right or whatever it was. Yeah. And those were a lie too. And oh, I can kind of see where we're going with this. Okay, yes. Okay, so then they asked people, like, they said, I think they said, that was not true. We were just joking. 
how well do you really think you did? And when they had told someone they had done really well, they still believed they had done really well. Uh Even though it was revealed to them, we were lying. Tell us what you really think, how you did. And if they had told someone that they did really bad, then they still thought, they did. I wouldn't do well on this. I, 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 fa- okay. I failed. So, like, basically what they're trying to say is once something has been established in our brain, uh-huh. like I'm good at this or yes. I'm not good at this, it's very hard yes. to... Correct. Yeah. And, oh, my God, <clears throat> I was just talking about this kind of stuff with my, the people at my office, that when we have holes in the de- who we are, yeah. holes in our identity, yeah. we fill those holes with the words and influences of others. We fill those holes with how people define us. So if we feel it's like, terrible. I don't know what I know on this. Well, somebody else said that I, you know, uh, I failed. Well, I guess I failed because if, if that hole will be filled. So you think of a child who's like developing their identity and who they are and has a lot of holes and yeah. you have a critical parent who's like, you're the worst, the worst, yeah. you, that, whatever it is. I think of just those reading groups where all um, placed into it in like second grade. Oh, we my all gosh. know who the dum-dums are uh, for sure. And so that sticks with you. Yes, it does. It took me my whole life to be like, wait, I'm not stupid. Right. I went to a private school where some people donated a lot of money. And of course their kid's going to be in the special group and I'm fucking white trash. I'm going in the dummies. But I didn't realize all those years that wasn't a reflection of who I am. Oh man. But we do that to kids often, as you're saying. And we have to have that aware. I mean, like really look and say, who am I? And what am I, what defines me and what, like, how do I want to fill in those holes? And is that really true? When this counter it, we, I think you and I have talked about this, how whoever your family's done this, mine has too. Yep. Whoever you were Mm -hmm. when you were like 10, they think you're still that even when you're fucking 40. Right. And so those labels are really hard to undo familially, not just individually. Yes. Yes. And it sucks. I mean, I was, I was saying this to somebody the other day that like our brain, it, like let's forget about the context. Let's forget about all, like l- let's just look at it as this machine that's job is to create connections. Mm-hmm. Connection, 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 connection. Yeah. That's what's happening. And when there's a connection between, you know, this thing I do and what somebody else labels it, that connection becomes stronger and stronger. And the only way to break that is to create a new connection. Mm-hmm. If not, the default system is, that's like what, you know, if I tell you that the desk that we're, you know, this desk over here is blue and it's really brown, but I've told you it's blue your entire life. Yeah. You're, somebody's going to point to that and you'd be like, that's blue. Yeah. And it would take a long time, a lot of training to see it different and to change that. And you'd have to, and then the first few times you're like, no, it's blue. And you have to snip that, that yeah. connection. Yeah. But that has to be it's really such hard. a... Uh, uh, like you have to have so much awareness and it has to be such a mindful thing. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. And that's really hard, yes. especially for folks who they have a lot of crap going on. Mm-hmm. Like they're not like, Oh, I better fix my brain wires. Right. But it's, it's easier said than done. Like it really is. That's the thing that's like so hopeful is like our brain is you can trick it so easy. I like the thought of that, but how do you mean? So like, for example, if I'm, Going on, if I'm on the challenge, this happened all the time on the challenge. Yeah. People would see me and they'd be like, wow, she's so excited. She's so excited (laughs) to do. (laughs) No, this is what I tell people. That was not, you know what you're seeing right there when I'm like, yeah, let's do this. I'm so pumped. 
You're trying I was, to convince yourself. Yes. For I was real. Ner- yes. You swear. I Hand to God, the one that I did it the most on was the very final challenge with Jordan where we were scaling down the building. I did a 15-minute power walk around the building with my arms in like the victory pose because I knew I was like, if I tell my brain and my body through my body language, send all of the physical messages that I'm excited, then that feeling of nerves, my brain will relabel as excitement. It's the same physical feeling that we get when we're going on a first date or jumping out of an airplane. But the first date one, because of the context, we go, Ooh, this is fun and exciting. I may be a little bit nervous, but it's good. Yeah. Then we're standing on the edge of a plane about ready to jump off. And we're like, fuck this. This is terrifying. This is all bad. This is not, this is fear. Yeah. Same physiological experience. Right. Right. So if we can relabel that and just really keep doing that you are safe you are fine you are capable you are whatever it is you are like i remember doing that when i had to go up for stand-up there you go it was like i remembered reading that if you tell yourself you're excited and not nervous that you will have a better feeling i mean it probably did help but i mean yeah you're fighting with correct <laughs> your yes. brain who's like mm. and we know that scientifically and, and this is true the the pencil test is the easiest one where you hold a pencil in your mouth yeah and it forces your mouth into a smile yeah it will raise people's reported happiness yeah just by physically doing that yeah so the way and there's a great book by Be- bessel van der Kolk called the body keeps the score mm-hmm. and it's all about how our body is the thing that remembers. Yeah. And how that's why triggers are a thing. That's why, like, God, this is Well, and that's why like- they say action precedes attitude. Yes. So if you want to feel whatever, yes. then you have to fucking fake it. Correct. I mean, you do. This is, we, the job interviews is a, another great place where you see it, where you're, say you're at a group interview, you're like, you're waiting in a, in a, in a <clears throat> room to, and you're all going in to be interviewed one at a time mm-hmm. and you look around and there are half of the group is slumped over, you know, maybe like looking with their shoulders, like hunched, like looking at their phone, looking down in a very like, um, what's defeated. the word? Defeated position. <clears throat> yeah. And then you have somebody else who's standing with their shoulders back. Who's like looking powerful. That person will do better in the interview. Yeah. For, and like for a million reasons, if you go into the bathroom and you do like the victory pose, arms in the air, like, you know, that pose is seen in people, even people who are blind make that pose in the Special Olympics when they win. Oh, that's they adorable. still do it, which shows you it's a universal, it's something that's inside of us that without yeah. being, without having any visual cues that that's what you're supposed to do when you win, yeah. your body will reaction. naturally throw your arms up in the air <laughs> and do that. It is a thing. So if we can do that mm-hmm. and tell our body, yes, I just won, yeah. then the action will, then the, you'll, See? you'll win. That's great advice. And the importance in the article was pointed out because this idea of like certainty, when we think something's true, it kind of like, it can have unintended consequences. So like when they ask people to guess on a map where the the Ukraine, where Ukraine is, the further their error was, Uh the more inclined they were to say we should go to war. Whoa. You know, where like you don't know a oh lot, but you have like these strings. That has a lot of. I mean, the less we know about people, you should people, see us looking at each other. I know, we're like, like oh. oh, God, that's an in group, out group thing. <clears throat> oh, yeah, my God, so this is so That's so important much. to remember. And then it was also talking about how we mistake. So if, let's say I said, how does a toilet work? Mm-hmm. 
because the toilet is so well designed and we use it all the time, we believe in our mind that we understand how it works. Right. You know, so it's almost like we mistake familiarity uh-huh. with um, certainty or with expertise. Yeah. I hate when people do that, but I mean, it's quite common. Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's all sort of compacted into the same article describing how our brains have these quirks yeah. that if you're just aware of, then maybe you can... Yeah. <laughs> and just take some time, like... <clears throat> Yeah, what does this make me feel about myself? What labels am I putting on? Like, I I I like to use the the kind of like I don't know term or expression. Am I zoomed in or am I zoomed out? Yeah. When you're zoomed in, you, there's really not a lot you can see. Yes. But if I zoom out and I just look at this, yeah, from a bird's eye view, what yeah. happened? Whether that, and I don't even mean like. I mean, what happened in your week? <clears throat> what happened in your the experiences yeah. you had growing up that could be making you feel like this right now? Yeah. Then we give ourselves a lot more compassion. But that's permission. not our inclination, I'm, which is yes, the trouble. Right. You have to be We're very purposeful, like, okay, I'm going to take a look at the yes. big picture here. And everything around us tells us to be zoomed in. Like we're, you know, I feel like... Oh, Commercials and advertising and everything, and you're not good enough, and social media and all yeah. this stuff kind of keeps us zoomed in. Yeah. I got to focus on the wrong things. Yeah. Yes. One thing that can't zoom in, but you don't need it to, is your ring security system. I have the video of the people who. Oh my God. Dude. Tara was telling me this story about my God. a ring device. Yes. My God. Who would have thought? Can you believe this one? A ring device was stolen, but don't even worry (laughs) because the ring people were on it so fast. They found out who did it. The security (laughs) cameras did everything they were supposed to. And... We like they're gonna catch them, and there's actually footage of these bozos. Oh, it's so great! See, that's what's great about the ring system. It's the best. You always know what the heck's going on at your door. You know if you get a package delivery or a surprise visitor because you'll get an alert, and you're able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on the devices. So you're good to go. If somebody's stupid enough to try to steal it. Well, they'll get theirs. And as a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring Starter Kit available right now with a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam. The Starter Kit is everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash brain candy. That's ring.com slash brain candy. I'm super excited because I get to introduce (gasps) my friend and a wonderful guest on the show, Ken Levine. Ken uh, is the host of the Hollywood and Levine podcast. It's the he, best name. I mean, I it's just, I just love that name. <laughs> it's so good. And he wrote for MASH. He wrote for Cheers. He wrote for Frasier. He wrote for Wings. I mean. All of the shows I love. Shorter list is what he didn't write for. True, Sarah. Go. He did not write for Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> That's all I know. They write themselves. <laughs> and he is back on the show today, and I'm so excited because he has the best stories about the entertainment industry, what it's like to write for television, how television has changed over the years, which yeah. is a lot. Oh, my God. And, I mean, he's just a laugh a minute. You'll love him. Obviously, we're at humor for freaking right. living. Um, and he has a blog that you guys should check out um, by Ken Levine. So enjoy the interview and listen to his podcast, Hollywood and Levine. Welcome, Ken. So, Ken Levine, I can't believe I get to harass you again. This is the third <laughs> time that you've indulged me. But I realized that in the other two interviews we did, I never got your origin story of how you got mixed up in this crazy biz. And I just wanted to find out where it all began. Well, it actually began in radio. I grew up in Los Angeles. And uh, 
you know, I was always kind of a funny kid. <laughs> and, you know, since I can't throw a spiral and I'm a terrible athlete, uh, <laughs> I, I watched the Dick Van Dyke show and there was this beautiful woman, Laura Petrie, who is married to a comedy writer. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my, oh my, God. my God, wait, wait, there may be another path for me. <laughs> so uh, since I, I was kind of funny, I figured, well, humor might be a way of getting girls, which for guys is the motivation for doing <laughs> anything. <laughs> so, uh, so I did that. I went to UCLA and then I got into Top 40 Radio and I was bouncing around the country playing the hits and kind of being Howard Stern before Howard Stern. And then uh, I reached a point where I thought, man, do I want to be playing Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison when I'm 70? <laughs> hey, Cousin <laughs> you know? Bruce, he's still doing it. I know, yeah. And, and, and I ask the same question every time I hear him. Uh, it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, there by the grace of God right. go I. Uh, right. And uh, so I, I saw the movie Sleeper, which was the Woody Allen movie uh, back before he was molesting anybody right. and, and it was okay to like him. And, uh, and I thought, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? Because at the time I was doing the all night show in San Bernardino oh, wow. and trying to be funny every break for the seven listeners. And four of those were probably 7-Eleven uh, night managers who were mugged and tied up in the back. So what was I doing? And Woody Allen had sight gags and verbal gags and a story and people were actually laughing. You know, you do something funny on the radio, you never hear any laughter. And so I thought, you know what, this might be a, a better path. And then I was in my armed forces radio reserve unit and a new member joined. We were at summer camp one year at Fort Carson, Colorado, and uh, this was David Isaacs, and we got to mm. talking, and he too kind of wanted to be a writer. So when I got back after summer camp, I got promptly fired. This was like a pattern with me in my radio <laughs> career. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah. Well, because stations would change format. I was always on the other station. Okay. I was never like on the big station. I was on the other station. So the ratings would come out and we would suck and I would get fired. And then I have to move to Detroit or San Francisco. I mean, I I hit some nice places along the way, Bakersfield. Uh, But uh, I, I moved back to Los Angeles to live with my parents to send out more tapes and then I called David and I said, hey, do you want to try writing something? And at the time, he was working at ABC in Hollywood in a long since uh, abandoned department film. He would be sending film cans to affiliates oh and things God. like that. And so we decided to try writing, which was great, except for one thing. Neither of us had ever written anything before. We didn't even know what a script looked like. So I had to go down to Hollywood and go to Bennett's bookstore and pick up a copy of a TV script. They had them on the remainder table. This is Hollywood, okay? (laughs) They don't have books. They have TV scripts. (laughs) And so I got an odd couple script and a Mary Tyler Moore show script and you open it up and it goes, you know, interior Madison apartment day and like, oh, that's how they do it. 
And then we just started writing, and uh, we we wrote a pilot first about two kids in college, which was the sum total of our life experience back then. <laughs> right. And it didn't sell. I think it would have cost a hundred million dollars in 1973 dollars to produce this avatar <laughs> would, would have been easier right. but then a, a writer who had made it told us well you have to write spec scripts scripts on speculation for existing shows and so our favorite was the mary tyler moore show so what we would do since we never took any classes uh, on writing is I would get together with my partner David on Saturday nights because the show was on Saturday night at nine o'clock mm. and we would tape the show and by tape I meant I would hold a little silver dollar microphone up to the no speaker way. and we would tape the show and then we would go back and listen to it and write an outline based on the show and we did that week after week after week and eventually we started seeing the patterns eventually we started figuring out how they broke those stories and then we we wrote our own but you know if i had a girlfriend <laughs> i probably never would be a writer today oh it's a you blessing know. in disguise okay yeah exactly fortunately i was totally free on saturday night I was available. So uh so that's that's how we learned and uh we we sent scripts around and we got rejected in a number of places and this again is a true Hollywood story. My mom one day was playing golf with the story editor of the Jeffersons. Oh my and God. she said to him, oh, you're a writer? My son is a great writer. And of course, he's thinking, oh, Christ. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, um, have him call me. So I did. I called and he said, do you have a script? And I said, yes, we do. He says, okay, send me the script. If I like the script, we'll talk. And so I sent him the Mary Tyler Moore Show script. And he called back about a week later, wow. said, this is really terrific. Come on in and pitch stories. And so we pitched stories to the Jeffersons and long story short, they liked one and bought it and we were on our way. And that's really how our career began. What did that first yes feel like? Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And at the time I was, I came, I eventually, I gave up radio full-time and was just going to be in LA and write spec scripts at night with David. So I needed a job <laughs> and I was teaching broadcasting at the KISS Broadcasting Workshop, but a station in San Diego invited me to come down and do weekends every weekend. So it's like, okay, I kept wow. my hand in radio and I did that. And the, I got the call from him on on Saturday and I was... At the radio station, I was on the air and, you know, he said, oh okay, God. we we bought your script. I wanted to tell you, have a great weekend coming in on Monday and we'll work on the story. And, and I hung up and my record was over and I had to go back on the oh air. Oh, my God. And so I just, I turned on the mic and I remember, you know, saying, B100 San Diego, it's 3.30 and I just sold a Jefferson's. <laughs> oh, my God, you did not. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So uh, I told the world, actually, before I told my partner. Wow. <laughs> then I called David. Yeah. 
Do you still have that tape of when you found out and you announced it? Uh, I don't know if I do or not. I've I've got That's a so box cool. of old uh, cassettes, and it might be in there, but I I would have to digitize it. What a moment! Did you just feel like I've arrived and now everything's gonna fall into place? It, w- it was like my life was gonna change. Yeah. Oh yeah. My God. And it, was it did. Like my life was. It, it absolutely did. And we went in to meet with them. And at the time, they were doing the show out of Television City in Hollywood. And there was like a drive-on pass for us. Oh, my God. You know, and you walk in the lobby and they let you into the elevator. It's like, <laughs> right. oh, my God. You were, we're escorted here. out. We've arrived. We're at CBS. I mean. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible moment. Yeah, you're the hotshot now. And as happy as you were, I'm so happy that your mom went golfing with that person because you created... I'm glad she didn't beat him. <laughs> right. You know, she had the good sense. Because things might have turned out differently <laughs> if, if she had beaten him. What but here's you... a funny story, uh, more on the, on the Jeffersons. So yeah. we get our story approved and we do our outline and they say, okay, you have two weeks to write the script, okay. which is more than enough time. The only problem was that we were going to Army summer camp those two weeks. Who was? And, and it's not like jury duty where you can write in and go, you know, it's not convenient for me. Yeah. I'll do it in October. Yeah. No. You get on the bus and go. And so we wrote our first Jeffersons at night in the barracks. Oh, my God. Okay. You picture those, like, big barracks that you see <laughs> in, in all those movies. And there's the guys playing craps and smoking dope and listening to Jimi Hendrix and everything. And we're sitting on one of the bunks going, Wheezy, Why? you bring that <laughs> right. over right now. <laughs> That's awesome, though. My yeah. God. And yeah. then you came And we back. had to break into a, an office to find a typewriter to type the script. Because oh we didn't God. have a typewriter. This is so bonkers. So at night, we had to, like, break into some office. We went into, <laughs> like, some admin building, and we just kept, like, trying doors until we found one that was open. <laughs> on television. <laughs> we we used our typewriter. It. Yeah. That's yeah. bonkers. What a yeah. life you've had. And that was just the beginning of uh, the crazy television world. Right. What do you think? Right. I've been very blessed. Yeah, I, man. I, every, every day I, I am so grateful. Well, and you have this crazy successful blog now where you are able to tell these stories about your career. Aren't you struck each time you write an entry to think how many stories and how much has happened in all these years that you've been doing it. I do. And I also think, wow, it happened in a blink. Yeah. You know, it, it, it happens so fast. And I was very lucky in my career in many respects, but one was that I had great mentors, Mm -hmm. people like Larry Gelbard and James L. Brooks and the Charles brothers and Mm -hmm. Jerry Belson and Gary Marshall. And so I've always felt this desire to pay it forward and to 
share my knowledge with younger writers and and help younger writers whenever I can because, like I said, I was just so lucky to not only learn from the best, but number two, be smart enough that I recognized they know everything and I know <laughs> nothing. Listen to them. You know, I'm not such a hot shot. Listen to them and learn, which I did. Well, and you have paid it back so handily because your blog and your podcast are just packed full of information. If you're just into television for fun or if you want to be a writer. And so you've really paid it forward. So I'm sure a lot of people are very grateful for that, including me. Have you noticed like over the years that you've been creating that kind of content that the questions that people ask you have changed? Or is it still the same type of inquiries? No, it's still the same type of inquiries. How do I break in? What are they Mm. looking for? That type of thing. Um, you know, and I always say you need to just keep writing. Yeah. That if you write three scripts, your fourth script is going to be better and your fifth script is going to be better than that. A lot of times writers will make the mistake of writing one script mm. and that's it. It's like, okay, <laughs> this is my script. So, you know, roll up the Brinks truck. I just, Here I am. I imagine, though, that people, because so much has changed in the business since, you know, the sort of sitcom heyday, that I just thought maybe people are just constantly talking about, I don't know, binge watching or reboots and things like that, which are relatively new concepts, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting because when we wrote these shows, first of all, like, say, MASH. Okay, when we were writing MASH, we had no idea that 40 years later (laughs) it would be on the Hallmark Channel 15 times a day. Uh, You know, we were just trying to write the best jokes and do the best show for the Tuesday night airing. And, um, And so they were written to be seen once a week. You know, we never thought in terms of people watching seven episodes in a row. (laughs) God, I wish we had that when we were doing our Mary Tyler Moore show. It wouldn't have taken eight weeks. We could just sit there for a weekend and just watch an entire season and, and figure it out. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very different. And, um, so like mash, because mash was so packed with lines and quick jokes and three stories going on and a lot of movement that we thought, well, a half an hour is like just the right amount of time that somebody would want to watch this. <laughs> and yet there are people that say, oh, I'll watch six, seven episodes a night. Yeah, So man. like, great. Yeah, great. <laughs> well, what's amazing you know? though is given that you were writing it, thinking of it as this episodic weekly thing, and now it's changed in terms of how people consume it. But the jokes still hold up. The work still holds up. I think that that is such a gift that you have, that you're funny forever. Your jokes aren't expired. Well, the great thing about MASH is that it was already a period piece. Mm -hmm. It was already set in the 50s when the show was done in the 70s. And because it's the Army, they're all wearing Army uniforms. So you're not 
going, oh, my God, look at that tie. Right. That's such a good point. Because that is you know, something that dates a lot of shows. Even if they're still funny, it's obvious that it's not modern. Right. Wow. And then you have shows like Murphy Brown mm. that really signed a Faustian contract in that they had to be really topical. Stylish. yeah. Oh, right. Which is great for... It's first airing, but now when they're doing Dan Quayle jokes and jokes about Westmoreland and John Dean and Watergate people, like, you know, 80% of the audience has no idea what they're talking about. Why do you think that reboot didn't have as much success as others? It just felt old and musty. Mm. And uh, I think they made a tactical mistake by really going after the politics mm-hmm. instead of the character development. Yeah. So I guess they figured, well, there's enough people that hate Trump that right. would tune in every week to watch us Trump bash. And it it was just, you know, they're going after easy targets. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't any real character development. And to me, the best shows are the ones when you're invested in the characters. And if your lead character has a problem, do you care? Yes. You know, more than do you laugh, do you care? (laughs) Oh, my God. Right. That is so true. I was listening to your interview with Jim Burroughs, which everyone should listen to on Hollywood and Levine podcast because it's a two-parter and Jim is a legend and it was just, he never does interviews as far as I know. And that was a real get for you, I'm sure. But Oh yeah. And he, he was terrific. Yeah. And yep. I felt like it was so insightful the way you guys were talking about on Cheers, how Sam acted, his eyes were the eyes of the viewer. So what he saw, then you would adopt. So if he loved Norman Cliff, then the audience loves them. And so it creates that sense of what you just described of caring. You start to care about the people and what happens to them. I really yeah, found exactly. That interesting. Yeah. The fact that Sam really loved all of those people. <laughs> and if you loved Sam, then, then you too would, would yes. love all of those people. And some of them on the surface were not necessarily that lovable. When you right. look at Carla, you know, I mean, Carla was just a sniper taking <laughs> shots at people, but you understood that she was a single mother of five kids and she had to work her ass off just to put food on the table. So you kind of understood where that anger was coming from, but still she wasn't what you would call a lovable, cuddly character. Right, right on the surface, but yet we still loved her. That was genius what you guys created. I just read the um, Cheers of Cultural History that you um, were interviewed for with the Darrow, I think they're Darrowski or Darrowski siblings that wrote that book. Did you read it yet? Um, no, I have not read that yet. I, I harassed them into sending me an advanced copy because, you know, I'm ravenous for Cheers content. And uh-huh. I was so grateful that you participated in that because I think it added so much depth to the critical analysis of the show. And one thing that stuck out was how, you know, this, this, the way that Cheers began, it wasn't a hit. And then it was allowed to grow and build. And it makes me sad that that's no longer really an option. Does that make you sad or do you think that's better in general? Well, it was lucky for us that 
at the time we were at NBC, two things worked in our favor. Number one, Grant Tinker was running the network, and Grant Tinker really understood the value of quality. His feeling was always, if something is really good, people will find it. Yeah. And the second thing is that they had nothing behind us that was any better. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, if they had something great, then then that would have been it. But um, they they stuck with us, and it was very frustrating because I think that the first year of Cheers is the best year of the series. Mm. And most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time shows sort of find a groove year two and three and that sort of thing. But that first year when Sam and Diane were kind of playing cat and mouse with each other, um, that was really, really special. And we'd look at the ratings and we'd shake our heads and go, you know, if we sat up and worked an extra half hour at night, it's Mm. not going to make the ratings go any higher. This is our best stuff. This is the best we can do. And we were very fortunate that we won the Emmy that year for the best new comedy. And back in those days, before you had thousand channel universe, back in those (laughs) days, you still just had... There were just three networks back then, and there would be summer reruns. And when we won the Emmy, a lot of people started watching the show that summer who hadn't seen the original run, and it kind of picked up from there. And then the second year, we did better. Um, Not great, but we did better. And then the third year, (laughs) Cosby premiered. And Cosby was getting like 49 shares and a high tide raises all boats. All Mm. of a sudden, we were like a top five show and that was it. We were off to the races. I'm so thankful that you guys were allowed that opportunity to grow and hit your stride or at least find your audience. I mean, you hit your stride on the in the pilot as far as I'm concerned, but the audience had to find you. I'm so glad you got the chance because now the interesting thing too is that we got a 19 share. Now, a 19 <laughs> share is probably 22 million people. Wow. Okay? <laughs> Today, if a show got 19 right. shares, <laughs> you know, Big Bang Theory, yeah. on for like 11 years, whatever, had its season finale, its series finale, and got 18 million people. Wow. And we were like a low-rated show with only 22 million people. 84 million people watched our series finale. It kind of bumps me out that that collective viewing is just not going to happen anymore. Does it bother you or are you just adjusting? Oh, it bothers me terribly. Yeah. Because there are no more shared events. Yes. Yes, everybody can watch their shows on their time and their schedule, but there was something very cool about it being a shared event and everybody watching at the same time and talking about it the next day and anticipating it and that sort of thing. You rarely see that. For a while, when American Idol was a thing Mm. back in the 2000s, there was that feeling where you had to like watch the show that night to see what was going to happen. And now, other than sporting events, yeah, 
you really have no real reason to watch shows. And I don't know about you, but my viewing habits now, because there's so many shows on so many platforms, is I'll just wait until (laughs) enough people tell me, oh, you got to see this show. This show is great. You have to see Killing Eve. You have to see Killing Eve. Mm -hmm. So then I start watching Killing Eve. And it's like, yeah, this is a great show. Right, because uh, otherwise you could get invested and the show will disappear anyway, too. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. That happens often. Right. It bums me out. And like I was even thinking about how a lot of I prefer sitcoms from the 80s and 90s. And a lot of the plots would no longer hold up because of the existence of phones. And I'm wondering if you would think that it would be it's more difficult to write for sitcoms now because a lot of those plot devices just don't exist anymore in terms of misunderstandings etc. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's also it's also much harder to write murder mysteries or plays because you know, you're right. It's not like somebody is stranded <laughs> In, yeah. you know, uh, Harlem, uh, how does he get out of it? <laughs> right. Well, he picks up his phone and he just calls his calls buddy. Uber, yeah. Yeah, he calls Uber, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't so, leave a yes. lot for plot, does it? Right. Yeah, right. that You know, we had out. a thing on Cheers and it always drove me crazy that people would come from, like, different locations and they, they were going to meet, Sam, or they wanted to meet Frazier. This happened a lot of times, okay? (laughs) So they would come from the airport and go to Cheers. Right. And they'd come in with their luggage, and they would go, is Frazier here? (laughs) And sometimes Frazier was, and the scene continued. But I thought to myself, who does that? (laughs) Right? Like, wouldn't the guy check into a hotel first? (laughs) (laughs) He's just going to go to a bar. He's going to send the taxi away. (laughs) And is Frazier here? Nope. He left about a half hour ago. Okay. And then he has to pick up his luggage and go up the stairs and get another cab. And, like, this was always insane to me. (laughs) But my protests fell on on deaf ears. (laughs) They didn't care. I support it. I support anyone that goes to a bar directly from the airport or anywhere else. (laughs) Um, You know, one thing, because I'm a big fan of Wings as well, but that show never really got the same sort of respect. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, it never did. And it was really funny. Uh, I worked on Wings for, God, like five or six years. And... It was always very funny, but it was always in the shadow of Cheers. And it did okay rating-wise. Yeah. But then when the USA Network started and they had no programming, (laughs) they played Wings episodes like eight times a day. Yes. And and we were still making first-run episodes. Mm. And we thought, well, this is really going to kill the show because now no one is going to want to watch another episode of Wings after watching <laughs> eight episodes every day. Yeah. But it turned out to be the opposite. It turned out to be that it introduced Wings to yeah. a lot more people, and then they started watching the first runs, and our ratings actually went way up. But you look at those shows, and I'm very proud of them, and they're very well plotted, and mm-hmm. they're very funny, 
They're a lot funnier than most shows today. Yes. And we never got any kind of Emmy love. The only yeah. Emmy nomination that Wings got, and it happened to be an episode that my partner David Isaacs and I wrote, was the one where Kelsey and uh, and BB, where <laughs> Frazier and Lilith go to Wings. For the conference, And we did that yeah. crossover episode, and Kelsey got nominated for an Emmy. I mean... Okay? None of the Wings cast ever got nominated for an Emmy. And I just don't get it, because I love... I love those characters and I like that there's in the same way that cheers is real people of all sizes and shapes. It's like that with the wings cast too. It's just a bunch of misfit toys. I love that. Yeah. And some really good actors, uh, Thomas Hayden church yes. who went on and did get an Oscar nomination for sideways Yeah, and Tony, Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. I mean, Oh, Tony Shalhoub is just, is just so great. Uh, David Schramm, he who went to played Juilliard. Roy. David Schramm, like, disappeared. He gave up acting. He he moved to New York. And I, I really don't know what he's doing now, but uh, this is like 10 years ago now. I, I had a play reading in New York, and there was a part that I thought he would be great for, and he was living hmm. in upstate New York. So I asked around for his email and he doesn't have email. Shut up. <laughs> he doesn't have email. So I was able to get his phone number and I called him and I said, I, I can't email you the script. I'm going to have to send oh it God, to you. Oh my God, you mailed it? Yeah. And I mailed it and he called up and said, yeah, this is fun. I'll come in for a night and do this. And he was just wonderful. And I thought to myself, you should be on the stage. You should yes. be in the screen. Very, very funny. Do you funny. think he just burnt out or what? I, I don't know. He apparently is very happy. He's Aww. living somewhere in upstate New York. I'm not sure exactly what he's doing. He doesn't really miss it. Oh, well, he was phenomenal. And I couldn't believe when I looked him up and it said he went to Juilliard. And I thought, now that's a good actor because he became Roy Biggins in my exactly. head. That's how good he is. And he's so unlike that guy. <laughs> right, right. Thank God. <laughs> he is so unlike that guy. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm dying to know one last thing, which is, what is your deal with Natalie Wood, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay. Well, <laughs> for, for people who don't know him, in my blog, I try to post a picture every day that's apropos of whatever the post is. Yeah. And if I can't think of an appropriate one, <laughs> I just post a picture of Natalie Wood. When I was a young teenager, my dad took me to the Pantages Theater in Hollywood to see a movie called The Great Race, which was a silly comedy. Okay. But it starred Natalie Wood and when I saw Natalie Wood, <laughs> I was like changed. that wolf in the Warner Brothers cartoons <laughs> where his like eyes pop out on springs, <laughs> right. that type of thing. Oh, okay. My hormones just exploded. <laughs> and and I had a, a, a huge crush on Natalie Wood. Always a huge Natalie Wood fan. The only time I ever saw her in person ironically, was just a couple of months before her death because mm. we were working at MGM and she was doing Brainstorm there and came into the commissary one day. 
but uh but i've always i've always loved her work and i um i just think the circumstances of her death are really suspicious I'll say. and i think there's more to that story and yes. so i'm forever looking for somebody Aww. to shed some light on it oh my gosh you're still her advocate yeah. oh that's beautiful when you saw her in real life what did you did you go weak in the knee kind of yeah. like <laughs> Oh my God! Right. <laughs> oh your my God! Your dream woman was in your in person in the flesh. You know uh, a fun story about Natalie Wood and the the sense of eroticism that we have, yes. where things that we can't see become very erotic. Yes. Well, Natalie Wood, when she was a child actress. There was some movie and she was like in a river and she hurt her hand and they reset the the wrist and a wrist bone was protruding a little bit. Mm. And she always was very sensitive about that and always wore a bracelet. Oh. always wore a bracelet. If you look on any Natalie Wood movie or any picture of Natalie Wood, huh. you will see that she is wearing a bracelet. Well, she did the movie Splendor in the Grass, and Elia Kazan was the director. And there's a scene where she's in a bathtub, and her mother comes in, and there is an angry exchange between them and, and that sort of thing. And at some point, uh, she gets up. And, of course, this was like in the 50s or early 60s, and so you never saw anything. Yes. But Kazan said to her, you can't wear the bracelet. You're in a bathtub. It's going to look ridiculous. <laughs> and you can't wear the bracelet. So she reluctantly took it off. And there's like a couple of shots oh my where you see it. And, and I'm going, oh, man. Oh, my God. I'm seeing Natalie Wood's wrist. Forbidden fruit. Yeah. Oh forbidden fruit. I'm seeing her wrist. Wow. Oh, my God. And yeah, the value the of eroticism. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> I'm really glad I got to the bottom of that mystery because I was like, what is this guy's deal with this woman? But now I know. Yeah. And my wife gets it. She's like, okay, good <laughs> <She's> luck. supportive. <laughs> she, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, yes. I'm not going to leave my wife for her. That's so. right. It's allowed. Yeah. Right. Um, it's kind of a fun thing to do. Well, I'm just forever thankful for your talent because you have touched my life. I've told you so many times because you're magical. And I'm just glad that people like you exist and help make the rest of our lives bearable. Well, thank you. you. And, you know, I I have a podcast because of you. (laughs) Because (laughs) you went to lunch with me one day (laughs) and said, you should start a podcast. (laughs) And you and your husband, Adam, have been so supportive and so great. And I'm in my third year doing it. I think I'm on episode 140. And I, I love doing it. And 
never would have started without you guys. So uh, a big thanks to you. Well, I'm honored, and I hope that tons of people keep listening and reading your blog because you have so many great stories to tell. We only scratched the surface. So thank you, Ken. You're off the hook. Well, I'm happy to be on again. Yay! You're my first third-timer. in a year. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I know that you have to go. Um, Also, I want to harass you into going to lunch or dinner sometime. So... We'll have to love to do it. Sort it out. Love to do it. Thanks, Ken. Have great. a great Thanks, day. Thanks, Susie. Talk soon. You too. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.